Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. If you have your Bibles or your phones, you can turn to uh, Romans 8. Verse 23. Okay. Wow, you guys look good. Wow. Turn, tell your name, you look better than when you came in here today. <laughs> Something really happened during worship. <laughs> so I want to talk about uh, today's Pentecost Sunday. Happy Pentecost Sunday. Um, you know, one of the things that we, that we understand is we don't just wait for one Sunday of the year to be filled, but this is a moment to remember and commemorate what happened. Um, but I, I, I would say it like this as well. When I've been uh, speaking to you guys about communion and just talking about the phrase of how the Lord says to do this in remembrance of me, and when we're looking at some of these accounts of the New Testament church, this remembering or this remembrance of me, it's, it's more than simply uh, a history lesson. When we are remembering the table of communion, it's, it's not just so that we don't forget and we tell the story so that we can continue to remember and every generation remembers, but there's actually an invitation to experience that which we are remembering. If you remember when I taught you on communion, the connection to Passover and how when the Jewish people would have the Passover meal, and still to this day when they have the Passover meal, they communicated as if this is the day they were delivered out of Egypt. Like 2023 Passover, they sat around a table and said, today is the day, not just them, but we were delivered. We around this table were delivered today out of the hand of the Egyptians. And so the the... Our Judeo-Christian roots, which I don't know if you know that, you know, Christianity comes from Judaism, the Judeo-Christian roots. We, we, we come from the same line. It points us to history that is more than just a story, but invites us to an experience. And when we're talking about Pentecost today, we're to remember, but it's a reminder that is an invitation to experience that which 2,000 years ago, the early church experienced. Um, but what I want to do, I want to take a moment to teach you a few things about that day. Uh, and the reason why I felt like to teach today more than just simply preach, I feel like you know, when, when we preach, it's an opportunity to impart and convict that the hearer of the message that's being brought forth. But as we teach the word, as we come and we, we open up, and we kind of go through line by line. I'm not going to do line by line today, but I am going to teach you. It gives us an opportunity to apply that, which we're hearing. And if we can apply it, we can live different. You know, with the preaching, it gives you opportunity to know, oh, something needs to change. But a teaching shows you how to effectively walk out that change. And so when Paul in Romans 8 brings up and he starts talking about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit on our, in our life, there is this moment in this passage, verses 18 onward, but I want to highlight verse 23 where he begins to, to connect this, this phrase. He says, not only that, but we, also, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and the redemption of our body. So he's talking about this, this, uh, this waiting of the transformation of our body that will take place when we, we go to heaven, we go to eternity. We're going to have a new body, new glorified body. We're not talking about that today. But he makes this connection with the Holy Spirit being our first fruit. The Holy Spirit being our first fruit. Um, and when we do look at this, we, can, we could render it two different ways. We could translate this verse 23, this phrase of the Holy Spirit being the first fruit. We could say that he is literally our first fruit, or some might take it and say he's the first gift. 
that he's a gift, a first gift that would come. And I, I would I would lean more towards the first translation that he's not just simply a first gift because then it implies there'd be a second or a third. And the reason I say that is when he comes, he comes in the fullness. John 4, 34 tells us that Christ gave and gives the spirit without limit and without measure. And so the reason I say it that way is when we're thinking of, of Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit as a first fruit to us, it's not just a, a portion and then we're going to get the rest in eternity. He gave us full access today to the Holy Spirit, to those who would receive. Um, and when Paul is pointing to the Holy Spirit as the first fruit, he is making mention of, of our future, but at the same time, he's reaching back to the Old Testament. He is using the language from the law of Moses where the people of Israel were commanded to bring the first fruits of their fields to the sanctuary. This is in Deuteronomy 26. And when, the off, when they were offering these first fruits, Israel confessed that they were only stewards, that the land and its harvest belonged to the Lord. And in the first fruits, the whole harvest was brought before the face of the Lord. And Israel is acknowledging that all things belong to the Lord and to him alone. So the first fruits for them are representing the entire harvest. And so though they are bringing an offering to the Lord, a part of the, the, the harvest, they're declaring this is just a portion of it, but the whole thing belongs to you. I'm not just giving you, I'm not just giving you a piece and saying this part's yours, the rest is mine. But Israel's saying, I'm giving you this. Here's a portion of the first fruits of the grain offering. And I'm also declaring, but everything of this harvest, everything from the field is because of you and it's for you. Okay? So I, I want us to think about that. And then why did the Holy Spirit pour out on the day of Pentecost? I don't know if you know that it's not called Pentecost because the Holy Spirit poured out the Spirit. It was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so when we find them in Acts 1 and Acts 2 waiting in the upper room, they are there on the day or during the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. Um, and Pentecost, the word, it means the number 50. It's very practical. It, its meaning is 50 days after the Feast of Passover. So it's 50 days from Passover to Pentecost. It's why still to this day we have... Uh, Pentecost Sunday, about 50 days after Easter Sunday. We're still aligning our history with that that took place way back with in Moses' day, which is pretty incredible. And so 50 is referring to 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Um, and Pentecost, another name for that feast, was the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. And it's the day in which Israel would offer up the final of the first fruits grain offering to God. So when Paul calls the Holy Spirit our first fruit, he's referring back to this ceremony of offering first fruits of the field during the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. However, there is a marked difference here. In Paul's usage, it is not now man who gives God the first fruits of the harvest, but it is now God who on Pentecost gives his spirit as the first fruit. The Lord, and uh, there's also an interesting thing in if we're just talking about numbers and signs and significance, and I don't know the total meaning to everything. I'm just, as I was studying and preparing the last two weeks for this message, uh, the other thing that they were remembering during the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost is they were remembering during that feast the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses who brought them to the people. And what is interesting is Jesus is with them for about 40 days, and then he goes and he says, now go and wait, and they wait in the upper room for 10 days. Until the Lord would show up. So there's these, this, I don't, know, I don't know what it means, just throwing it out there. But for me, it's just, it's more than just numbers. It's more than just coincidence that it's 10 days, 10 commandments. It's 50 days later, he would pour out on, on Pentecost. No, he was doing something on purpose. And Paul, in Romans 8, is connecting to that reality that, hey, we were celebrating for years the the giving of the first fruits and still doing that as we're around this table during this feast. But now the Lord himself is has uh, come to us in, as the Passover lamb. He came to us as the, the lamb that was slain. He was the Passover offering and gives brings to us himself as the offering. 
at the Messianic Passover, we didn't bring him the lamb. He brought himself as the lamb. And then 50 days later, we would not bring him something else of, of, of the field, but he would then again send us another offering of the Holy Spirit who would be our first fruit. And the connection point with them is they're giving him a portion, but saying it's all yours. And he's saying, I'm not just giving you a portion of the Holy Spirit. He's all yours. You can have all of him if you want it, if you want him. And so even as we gather today to commemorate the events of Pentecost, to think of this, we have to realize this is a pivotal moment in our history as believers in Christianity. On that day, it was a sacred day. We, we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the early disciples, how it empowered them to fulfill the mission entrusted to them by Jesus, by our Savior. And the Messianic Pentecost is a powerful reminder of an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to point out three significant things that I want us to take away. There's more, but there, I, want to point, I want us to look at three things about Pentecost and what that means for us today. We, we want to explore that. One, I want to highlight that there is a demand, not just an invitation, but a demand to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to work through that. Secondly, the Holy Spirit was poured out and it still is poured out today so that we would be filled to be righteous. The Holy Spirit is available to you so that you can be righteous. And third, that we are filled to move in power. And I want us to allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Lord to open our hearts and our minds to this truth. And so I'm going to give you some, some scripture references that you can write down. I'm going to give you quite a few today. So if you want to take something out or your phone out to, to write them down, uh, and take notes, and then we'll, we'll read some scriptures together, but there's, there's a lot here, all right? So the first thing, in Acts, excuse me, in Ephesians 5.18, why don't we actually read that together? And when you have a chance, maybe later today or tomorrow this week, Read, read the, the account of Acts 1 and Acts 2. But read it, go slow, ask questions, uh, put yourself in the story, and just let, let that storyline, let that scriptures see the, the events, the, the wind, the fire, the outpouring, the, the eventual preaching of the gospel that went forth, the thousands that come in, the tongues of fire. You know, ask the questions. It, it is, it is a, a magnificent story. You know, they're not all just, I mean, this, the storyline is perfect. He, he did this on purpose. He, he gave up his life on the week of Passover so that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on Pentecost because he knew that during the Feast of Weeks, the nations would have gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. They wouldn't have been there at any other time. But they are there. It's not just because it's an international city, though it is an international city. All of these family members, these ones that came from, they're coming back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, for the Feast of Pentecost. It's why they happen to be there. And they're not out of town when the Holy Spirit pours out. The timeline is, it's beautiful. It's more than just uh, a casual story. Anyway, so Acts 2 is the birth of the church in, in one way, shape, or form. And as the disciples gather, they gather in one accord. We see the mighty rushing wind fill the house. We see the tongues of fire rest upon them. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues. And this experience, it marks and begins a new era for the church and for the believer. And as the Holy Spirit's being poured out, he doesn't just pour out on some of them. He poured out on all of them, everyone that was in the room. And it was not a one-time event but it was a powerful demonstration of God's desire to continually fill all his, all his people. And we see in Ephesians 5, we have the, the Apostle Paul reading, and we're in verse 18. And he says, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled, be filled with the Spirit. A um, couple of things. Paul is urging the believers— it's not just a uh, suggestion. This is something that's burning in his heart. And we, we know this because of some of the language, that there, there is 
not an invitation, but to be filled, is, it's a command. And I'll, we're going to look into the Greek or the original language of that phrase. But with this, be filled with the Holy Spirit, we're seeing that, or a revelation that being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just a suggestion, but it's a vital necessity for every follower of Christ. And I want to explain a few things here. I believe that at the moment of salvation, when, when you come to the knowledge of Christ, that you are receiving Christ in your heart, but you're also in that moment, you're, you're getting the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I personally view that as two separate things. At salvation, we have the indwelling, and then there's an invitation to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. So what, what is the difference? The indwelling of the Spirit, and why do I believe that? When, when you are saved, it is the Holy Spirit who is the one that causes you to be born again. Is the Holy because we can't do it ourselves. We we say a physical prayer, right? But the moment of your salvation, you die to your old man. The moment of your salvation, you have been crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, raised with Christ, and then seated in the heavenly places with Christ. There is a transformation. In the moment of your salvation, it says that you're born again. We even see in the early church the, the questions came out. Well, how could what one be born again unless we go back into our mother's womb? No, this is a supernatural reality. Where there is a new birth that takes place in us because of the Holy Spirit working in us as we're receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so in that moment, you have an indwelling of the Spirit. And then there's this invitation where, the, where Jesus gives the, the disciples to go wait in the upper room. Now, Acts 2 is something that we're looking at, but Acts 2 is not the best model, now hear me, for the New Testament believer in the order of events. The reason why I'm saying that is we have to remember that this, the disciples lived in two covenants. They lived in the old covenant, and then they transitioned into the new. And so they, they lived something that was unique to them. We can look at the rest of the book of Acts of what it looks like for the unbeliever to become believer, to become filled with the Spirit, all in the new covenant, right? Does that make sense? You guys following me? And so... We see all throughout the, the, the rest of the book of Acts and in the early church this way where people are being invited to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, some denominations, and some of you in this room might be like, well, I don't know if I agree with that, Rich. Um, I, I believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit um, at the moment of your salvation. Or maybe it's, well, no, you don't get, fill, you don't get the indwelling Spirit, the filling of the Spirit until you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's different ways and different denominations have different beliefs and, and convictions on the doctrine of being filled. But the thing that I want to point out, the early church's desire was not caught up so much in how it happened or the way that it happened. What was the most important to them is that you were filled. They wanted to make sure you got filled. And even when we're looking at the order, like whether you have a Pentecostal view or a charismatic view or a Methodist view or any other view or a combination of the views or your own personal view, at the end of the day, the goal of the early church wasn't that it had to happen in a specific order or it's always going to happen in this way or this is exactly what is happening. Their burning desire was, at the end of the day, we just want you to be filled because we understand if you are not filled, you cannot enter into the fullness of that which the Lord has called you to. In fact, even with our, all of our opinions, we see, you know, Acts 2 outpouring the Holy Spirit, they wait on the Lord, they're filled, and then they speak in tongues. And then we see other accounts where people are filled with the Spirit, and then they get saved, and then they get baptized. That's in Cornelius' house. As Peter was just speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them and filled them, and then he gave them the gospel message, and they received salvation, and the order is flipped. As you go throughout Acts, we see it, it doesn't always happen in the same order, but the, re the final result is the thing that they're pursuing, is that you would know Christ, you would come to the saving knowledge of Christ, you would be baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is the ultimate uh, conclusion of your entering into the kingdom of God and your new birth as a born-again believer. Amen. You with me? Yes. All right, so don't get caught up with the semantics of it all. Um, anyway, so while, while we receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, it's crucial to recognize, at least in my opinion, that there is a distinction between the indwelling spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit. The indwelling, I do believe, is a one-time event where the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit gives us new birth. 
and that brings forth new creation. But I also believe it's the Holy Spirit who is the one, as I said before, that makes us born again. He's working behind the scenes in an unseen realm to perform a miracle inside of us as we're being saved. And while being filled with the Spirit is also an ongoing process, it is also an empowerment for life. It gives to us the gift of openness to gifts and to the miraculous. But one of the things that I want to highlight to you today is it gives us the gift of obedience. The Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us to be obedient to that which the Lord has called us to. To be obedient to what? To the mission and to the way of living in this Christian life. And we must continually seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit to maintain a vibrant and fruitful relationship with God. As we yield to his presence and surrender our lives to his guidance, the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk in the fullness of his grace and purpose. Now I want to look back again, Ephesians 5.18, because I told you we'll look at, at the, this phrase, to be filled with the Spirit. This, this phrase, be filled, when you open it up, I use this tool called Blue Letter Bible. You can use it too. It's very user-friendly. Uh, no, it's, it's very good. If you're reading the Bible and you don't know what, you, what you're reading, um, don't move on. Look up a commentary. See what it means. Like, give yourself to wisdom and understanding. And so what I'll do is I'll read it, and something's popping out at me. I'm like, I, I wonder what this, like, what the original language is. And I wonder what, what is meant by this. And so I looked up to be filled or be filled, and it is a verb, right? But it is a, a past or a present tense verb, which means that this verb, this action that is highlighting is meant to be done regularly. It's a little English lesson for you, right? So it's a past tense, uh, it's a present tense, not a past tense, it's a present tense verb. Not a noun, but a verb that is highlighting that the action that it's talking about is meant to do regularly or continually. It's meant to communicate a habitual action. Meaning being, being filled should be our habit. And not only is it a, a present tense verb, but it is an imperative verb, which means that it is a command. It's imperative. It's a command, not a suggestion. There's weight to it there's a soberness to it where the where paul is high, uh, highlighting to the ephesian church don't live in the old way here's the new way of man go on being filled with the holy spirit last thing it's a passive verb which means that while the command is given to us, God is the one who must fill us. And I love this because all in all, what it is communicating to us is there needs to be something inside of you that catches hold of this command where he says, go on being filled to understand, oh, this is not just one thing. I need to continue to pursue being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is not just an invitation or suggestion. This is the command where I want to enter into obedience to that. But at the end of the day, there's a humility that comes along with it because I cannot make it happen. Meaning there is a dependence on God. So what's our responsibility to be filled? Our responsibility is we keep putting ourselves out there before the Lord over and over again, asking Him to fill us. But yet there is this waiting on the Lord, because he is the only one that can actually do it. I can't make it happen on me. I can't make it happen on you. I can't force it. But I know that the hunger and the thirst in my heart to be filled is going to meet his desire that I be filled and his command that I be filled. And I can know that if I continually put myself out there to be filled, he will be faithful to fill me. But I also know when the filling comes, it wasn't me. It was him. And even with all that, I still find myself asking the questions. It's like, okay, Lord, you're telling me to do this, but why? It's, it is enough, Lord, that you said do it, and I'm going to pursue this without even knowing why. But I would like to know why. And I begin to ask, you know, this is how you begin to ask questions of the scripture. 
Why, Lord? Why should I be filled with the Holy Spirit? There are many reasons that I'm not even going to be able to cover today, but a few I want to highlight to you. I believe we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit because he plays a vital role in convincing, convicting, and converting. I believe that the Holy Spirit, John 16, 8, shows us that he is convincing and convicting the sinner of their need of a Savior. Meaning this, when, when the sinner hears, when the unbeliever hears the gospel message, the only way they have an ear to hear is if the Holy Spirit encounters them in that moment and convinces and convicts. I can't convince anyone of their need of God. At a heart level, at a spirit, I, can't I can tell them, but I can't really convince them. I cannot convict them of their sin. The Holy Spirit has to do that. And what this does, it gives us an understanding, even in our evangelistic efforts, that we can't do evangelism without the Holy Spirit. We need to invite him along with us because we know that he is the one that convinces and convicts to the sinner. But he continues to convince and convict even after salvation. To the saved, to the saint, he is convincing us and convicting us of the righteousness of God. Can you put that up, John 16, verse 8? And when he has come, Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he's coming to the world, to the unsaved, to convince and convict of sin. But once you've come to know him, now he's going to reveal the righteousness because there is no righteousness without him. There's no right standing before salvation. When we come into salvation, now we have access to righteousness. And so as the believer, he continues to come as the convincer and the convictor of righteousness, meaning, hey, you get to behold as in a mirror the glory of God, and now you get to see what you can become, but I'm the one that's going to help you become it. Why? Because I'm the converter. I'm the one that walks you through the process of sanctification. And he says, good luck with sanctification without me. <laughs> Seriously. I think there are times where, you know, we, we may have found ourselves early in our walk or people might find themselves even today where they've received the Lord and they have the indwelling spirit, but they've yet to pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit that allows them to go on being sanctified, to go on being righteous, to go on becoming more and more like Christ, meaning when you're not pursuing these perpetual infillings, these continual infillings of the Holy Spirit, you are playing with not all the cards. We need his cards. We do. Because he stacks the deck in your favor. He really does. He allows you to become like Christ. Not because of what you can do, but because of what he does through you. Do you know what that means? It means you could actually go a day without sinning. You could probably go a week without sinning. And this might be like blowing your mind because you're like, what do you mean, Rich? Like we're sinners. Well, yes, we were sinners saved by grace. And it is important to acknowledge that we were sinners. I'm not saying just completely be ignorant of our old life. But you were a sinner and you now have a new identity. Even in Ephesians, when he opens up the book, he writes not to the sinner, he writes to the saints. He begins to call you a new name. Why does he do that? Because he is trying to pull out of you what was always inside of you from the very beginning. In fact, if we could take it a little bit further, uh, you have so much value and worth to God that when he created you, he created you in his image. And that's important. This is Genesis 1, 2, 3 stuff, guys. And the reason why I, I bring this up is because even the sinner today that does not know Christ has inherent value, not because of anything good that they could do, but simply because they bear the image of the created one. And because they bear the image of the created one, they do carry joy. How do we know this? It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He endured the cross not for the saved. He endured the cross for the sinner. There was something inside of the sinner where he could see past the dirt, the muck, all the stuff, and he saw the fingerprint of his father on them, and that brought his heart joy. And he says, I'm going to go to the cross 
for that person, not because of anything they've done good, but because I see my father in them. And what's beautiful is now on this side of the cross, Ephesians 1, 2, you begin to read it, over 24 times, the Apostle Paul refers to the saints as those who are in Christ. Over 24 times, some sort of version of in Christ, with Christ, in himself. Meaning there is this language that from that side, Jesus saw us, but saw the Father in us. Now when the Father looks at us, he doesn't look just at us, but he looks at us through the lens of his Son. We get invited in this supernatural reality of salvation and sanctification into this love story of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They put us right in the middle of them. This is the John 17. Father, I desire that these whom you've given me would be with me where I am. That they would be one in us, you as I am one in you and you are one in me. That they would be one with us. And so many times we highlight that and we bring up the, the, the storyline of unity within the church and it's there. But what he's praying to the Father is that we would have unity with him. Just as he has unity with the Father and with the Spirit. He wants us to have that union, communion relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you get access to that because of the blood of Christ, but because of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you and because of the perpetual infillings where he begins to continue to work and fill and sanctify you to be more like him. And so this concept of conversion, I don't have time to get into it. I'm going to give you some um, scripture references, but I believe the Holy Spirit is the converter in the new birth, you see that in John 3. I believe he's the converter to help us become a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. He gives us new life, Ephesians 2. Holy Spirit as the converter helps us and enters us into the sharing and being grafted into Christ's death and resurrection. That's Galatians 2 and Colossians 2. And Holy Spirit, the converter, puts upon us the new self in the place of the old. He is the one that helps us walk in this reality of being a new man and helps us to not resurrect the old man. And leave him dead in the grave. That's Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And I believe all this becomes the reality of what it looks like to be in Christ. Being in Christ, it looks like walking in our identity and who he's called us to be. But to do that, we have to give ourselves to understanding what does that mean, what does that practically look like, and how can I continue to pursue this Holy Spirit who will continue to pour out and empower me in every season and every year of my life to become more and more like Christ. Conversion, therefore, appears as the most significant or convincing, convicting and conversion appears to be as one of the most significant things to ever happen to any human being. It makes God our focus, Christ our glory, the Spirit our life, and heaven our home forever. The Holy Spirit, He is the one to open our eyes to see God. The Holy Spirit, He is the one to open our eyes to experience the glory of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers us with the life that He carries. And the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, is our signet ring, our engagement ring that says, when you get to the marriage supper of the Lamb, you have a seat at the table, and this is now your home forever. This is the role He plays. He is not just uh, a cloud or a wind or a fire, though we describe him in those ways because the scripture describes him those ways, but he is fully God. He is the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit is God. And I know in our English language, sometimes it's hard we refer and we say it, but it's a he, it's a person. He's also who we sing to, who we worship. The Holy Spirit himself is who affects our union with the Lord. He sustains it by his indwelling presence. And he's the one who makes our lives fruitful in being Christ-like. And he's the one who will one day finish his transformation by giving us new bodies to match our renewed hearts. It's powerful. He doesn't stop working in us, through us, and behind the scenes when we don't even know he's working. The Puritan Thomas Goodwin said this, he said that it is the Holy Spirit who takes all the pains with us. 
This and nothing less is his work in conversion. It is for us who believe to wonder. It is for us who believe to adore. And it's for us who believe to know ourselves as new creatures in Christ. We need to make it our daily goal to live out with the Spirit's help what has been wrought in us by the Spirit's power. True conversion is known by the new quality of life that it produces. When you, pr when you pursue a life filled by the Spirit of God, that life will look like a quality of life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And the crucial item in all of this for the early church was the work of the Spirit, that he was the dynamic, empowering dimension with gifts, miracles, and evangelism, but along with fruit and maturity. This was a normal part of the early church's expectation and experience for believers. I think it's a good reminder for the charismatic church. The Holy Spirit is not just the one we call on for power, signs, and wonders, though he is the one we call on to fill us, equip us, and fan into flame the gift inside of us because we are commanded to go into our world to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and preach the gospel of the kingdom. So he plays that role. But also, he plays the role of sanctification so that we can mature into the new man and so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God and walk in the fruit of the Spirit. If we don't allow him to work on that area of our life, then the gifting that grows will crush the character that lacks. And we will end up in lack because we are not pursuing the Holy Spirit to also increase character, right living, right thinking, right identity, that we would walk in right standing with God. Do you know what it means? As Le And I've said this so many times. If you're in this room, you are a leader. You may not be a leader at this church. You may not, not be a leader at your job or like the, and by, what I mean by that is like hold a title or a business card or positional leadership. I'm not referring to positional leadership. I'm referring to your identity as a leader because he calls you his ambassador. And if you are an ambassador, you are representing him to a world that has no idea what you have access to, but you get to bring the reality of his kingdom to the world around you. And so if you're the representatives, if you are an ambassador, you cannot just do whatever you want to do the way you think you do it. You have to live according to the law and the way of the one who sent you. Meaning I don't get to just do what feels right for me to do. And if what I think is right doesn't align with scripture, then the source of my thinking was not the Holy Spirit. This is the calling for the believer to be completely set apart. Not to live life in the gray area. And I'm not even just referring to sin. I'm talking about vision, pursuit, and goals. We're not just called to live the American dream. We get the house and the white, well, it's Manhattan. You get the penthouse apartment <laughs> and the 1,200 square foot balcony and the, the two parking spots in the covered garage with a doorman, you know? Like that's not, we're not just called to the Manhattan dream. We're not. We are called to lay down our life and die so that we might live in him. It looks like everything else in this world becomes secondary so that he can become primary. And when that is flipped on its head, you end up living in places and situations that you have no position living in. And you end up fighting battles that you were never invited to fight because you're in a place that you shouldn't be. That was David. David was supposed to be on the front lines of battle, but he's over here having an affair because he should have been where he wasn't where he should have been. He wasn't living rightly according to the command. What has God called you to do? And what do you need to adjust in your life? How can the Holy Spirit adjust things in your life so you can be positioned for breakthrough, but so that you can be positioned for maturity and wholeness and right living? I'm telling you, if I can get a church of 100, 200, 300 people to be living right with Christ, never mind how gifted they are to speak or to minister, just them living right will cause a revival in, in the city that they're in. I'm serious. This is Moses, right? God, you called me to go into the promised land, but I'm not just going to go based on the authority of the calling. I need to go in power, so I'm not going to go there unless you go with me. 
but he's not going to go with you unless you're living right. I don't know how we ended up there, but we ended up there. <laughs> we cannot allow our Christian life to consist of conversion without empowerment, baptism without obedience, and grace without love. He converts you to empower you. He baptizes you so that you would be obedient. And he gives you grace so that you would walk in love. Where those things lack, the Holy Spirit is not dwelling. You want to know a simple way of what looks like to quench the spirit? Stop walking in love. Stop walking in obedience. Stop walking empowered. That's a life quenching the spirit. You want to see a life that's walking in the fullness of the spirit? Be obedient. Be empowered to live right and walk in love. Two things that I want to highlight today as we're, I probably need 10 more minutes. So I don't want to say I'm closing right now. I want to do the, 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 the Pentecostal as I finish. I'm going to take the 10 more minutes. Can I have 10 more minutes? Raise your hand. Yes, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. All right, we're good. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get to your class. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I believe the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit continues to get poured out so that we can live righteous. I believe it's one of the most important and supreme qualities of the Holy Spirit that, that becomes the qualities of the believer. The infilling of the Holy Spirit equips us to live a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus, before ascending to heaven, promised his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And this divine power enables us to overcome the fleshly desires and walk in righteousness. You can't overcome the fleshly desire without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And some of us are struggling with some of those fleshly desires, worldly desires, whether it be, you know, lust, money, fame, greed, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And do you know what the answer to a lot of that is? Uh, more than just accountability, more than just willpower, it is the gift of self-control that comes through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But it's He's the one that's going to do it. It's a life in submission. And there's a wrestle, but you wrestle with Him. I do think there is this reality that, that believers, once filled, many don't allow the Holy Spirit to be active inside of them. How many of you like chocolate milk? Yeah? How many of you have ever made chocolate milk? Like, you know, all right. There's probably more of you. You just don't want to admit it. <laughs> now, I grew up in Brooklyn. We had the, this chocolate. My, my grandparents, they like to make egg creams, and so they would use this thing called You Bet. It's chocolate. Uh, they have it in plastic containers now. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. There was no, no one in the first service, but we got, I got one. It used to come in the glass jar, and now they sell it in the plastic. Maybe for you, it's Hershey's. You can have your Hershey's chocolate. But if you take the chocolate, how many of you have made chocolate milk? You take the chocolate, and you squeeze it into the milk, right? And it goes into the glass. But how many of you, when you squeeze it in, is it chocolate milk? No, it goes right to the bottom. I think that's a picture of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit without the Holy Spirit being activated. The thing that creates chocolate milk is you don't just pour the chocolate into the milk, but there needs to be a stirring and a shaking. And it's in the stirring and the shaking, it's in the stirring and the shaking that actually causes the milk to become a new substance. Because without the stirring and the shaking, it's just chocolate and milk. But what makes it chocolate milk is when you take it and you shake it. What makes you a filled believer is when you fan it to flame, you stir up the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you. There needs to be a I feel the Holy Spirit is saying this right now. There needs to be a continually stirring, fanning into flame, a shaking with inside of us so that everything that is in him becomes a part of us. Well, we're no longer the milk. We're the chocolate milk. It's a good word. <laughs> Through the Holy Spirit's work within us, we are empowered to live in obedience to God's command and display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. When we shake up and stir up the Spirit on the inside of us, we allow Him to transform us into something completely new, and we become transformed. Chocolate milk. <laughs> the second thing I want to highlight, I, and you can just see this later in Galatians, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I believe that this is something that is not focused on enough for the believer. 
that the Apostle Paul describes the transformation that occurs when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and he outlines nine fruits. He calls them the fruits of the Spirit. Who's going to give you these fruits? If I wanted to get fruit from the grocery store, I mean, pretend we don't have, like, Instacart, okay? But if I wanted to go get fruit from the grocery store, I got to go and get it. If you want to get fruit from the Holy Spirit, you got to go to him and get it and ask him for it. Ask him for the fruit that you need, right? And he tells you, he lists them off. You need, he, he gives you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. When your life is becoming an anxious mess in a specific area, I wonder if there's a lack of one of these fruits in that area of your life. And it's not some attack from the devil. It's not some attack from your, your family member or your coworker or your boss. It's not some persecution. It's just a lack of fruit in your life that it's producing spoiled fruit. The fruit of the Spirit, these fruits, they are the evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And they manifest as we surrender ourselves to his leading, and they allow him to cultivate his character within us. What happens when you shake up that milk? It it is the wrestling with God to stir up this character, this fruit within you. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, these fruits become evident in your relationships. They become evident in your actions, and they become evident in your attitudes. They reflect the righteousness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We also see when Paul's writing to the Romans, he reminds us that we're no longer under the dominion of the flesh, but we have been set free by the Spirit of God. And as believers, we're called to walk in the Spirit, allowing Him to guide our thoughts, words, and actions. How does that happen? It only happens if we yield. This is a life of yielding. This is a life of leaning. This is a life of submission. This is a life of laying down so that he could be lifted up. When we yield to his promptings and we rely on his power, we can overcome temptations of the flesh And live a life that honors God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit empowers us to pursue righteousness and become living testimonies of God's transforming grace. It's beautiful. If I could share one other thing in the scripture, I I always forget if it's Elijah or Elisha and what the, the woman's name is, but one of them goes to the woman, if you know, you can shout the names, and she's out of oil, and he tells her to go get the jars. It's Elijah. He tells her to go get jars. And I was thinking about this story uh, last week, and I just couldn't help but think, like, if, if we were to go get our jars, they would be filled with a bunch of other stuff. And we wouldn't even have room for her to pour out into it. And I think so, so much time in the Christian life, we... Our jars are full with, with good things, but there's no room for him to pour out. We're filled with all these other things, all these other busy things, and, and it's just like, he said, go and find empty jars. Some of us need to empty out things in our life. We need to lay out things in our life so that we can be filled. And what I love about that story, if you remember, she go, he says, go in your cabinets, go to your friends, get as many jars. And it says that she got the jars, brought for the prophet. He prays, the, the oil starts to fill the jars, and then there's the phrase. And then when the last jar was filled, then the oil stopped. Now, we don't know if there was 10 jars. We don't know if there was 100 jars. But if there was 10 or 100, she would, if there was only 10, she had 10 full jars. If there was only 100, she had 100 full jars. The point is, how many... How many areas of our life are we willing to bring before him so that he can fill it? If you only bring two or three places, he'll be faithful to fill that. But he wants all of you. He wants every, he wants to fill every part of you. What are the areas that we're not willing to bring before him so we can lay it down so that he can fill, transform, permeate, and bring us into a new place as a new creation, as a new person? The Holy Spirit is poured out so that we would be filled to move with power. 
He has called us to have an impact on our world around us and to impact that world with the kingdom of God. Can I have the worship team come up? When the early disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they were not only empowered to live righteous lives, but they were also equipped for supernatural works of ministry. The book of Acts, if you read it cover to cover, is filled with numerous accounts of the Holy Spirit's work and powerful work through them, leading to miracles, healings, conversions, and the expansion of God's kingdom and his gospel. That same Holy Spirit that empowered them is available to us today. He is available to us today, enabling us to carry the message of salvation and demonstrate God's power to the world around us in our generation. It is the Holy Spirit who anoints us to impact the world with the kingdom of God. There is no spectator Christianity in the new covenant. The old covenant, the priest can go in for you. The old covenant, Moses can go hear God for you. But in the new covenant, the veil has been torn. It's been lifted. And there is an expectation that you need to go and be filled. Remember the disciples, they lived in two covenants. When they were walking with Jesus, they didn't need to be filled quite yet. Though he does, when he's with them, give them authority and power and commissions them, and they go out, the 70 to the 72, depending on your translation, and they heal the sick, cast out demons. That's where we hear that scripture. They came back to him. They saw this demon fled, and this thing happened, and, and Jesus goes, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning. You know, they moved in power and authority when Jesus was with them. But then as he dies, he's resurrected, and he comes and he appears to them. Uh, he tells them, gives them the great commission, but the last thing he says is not go into all the world. The last thing Jesus says is now go and wait in the upper room, go wait in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. I've given you the keys of hell back. You, you now have all authority, but you need power. And so it's like, well, how could they move in power back in Luke 9, but now they don't have the power? See, Luke 9, they were functioning under the authority and the power of Jesus' anointing because he was with them. They were, if you will, underneath his umbrella. But the moment they step out of that because he goes to be with the Father, he, he communicates to them, now you need to have your own encounter. You see, Jesus had his encounter. When John baptized him and came up, the voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son. And then the Holy Spirit comes in a visible form as a dove and rests and fills Jesus in that moment. And he tells the disciples, now you're in need of this dunamis that will come as you wait. And as the believers, we have to know that the go of the gospel is just as important as the wait. In fact, the wait is what empowers the go. And I think so many times in our lives, we're just, we're, and it's, it's not a bad thing, because if you look 20 years ago, no one was going. You know, everyone was just waiting. And then the last ten, five, 10 years, everyone's going, but there's not the waiting on the Holy Spirit. It, it was never meant to be a one or the other thing. There is this constant going away. Even in Paul's life, as you see his missionary journey, you see moments where he says, oh, I desired to go to, to this place in Asia, but the Holy Spirit said no. But then a couple verses later, all of a sudden he's there. Paul understood what it meant to wait and go. Wait and go. To go because you're waiting to be filled. There is this pattern, if you will, that if he's called you to a place and he's asking you to go, he's giving you authority for an assignment, there's also a power that he wants to bring to back up the assignment and the authority that he's given you to do. Does that make sense? And I want to just share a verse. This has been one of my life verses. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 to 5. This is Paul speaking again to the Corinthians. He says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with demonstrations of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And I love this. Because Paul understood. I, I, he's telling them, I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the most persuasive guy. In fact, I don't want to just persuade you of something. Because if I just persuade you of something, then the next great speaker, the next more 
intelligent, more eloquent of speech guy or gal is going to come along and convince you of something else. And then when the winds come and the, the rains come and the storms come, you're just going to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. So I'm not just coming to you with the gospel message and with the doctrine of Jesus. I am coming with demonstrations of the Holy Spirit's power so that you would know it's not just by word, but it's by power. He said to, to the Roman church in Romans 1, I long to come to you to impart a spiritual, lay my hands on you to impart a spiritual thing to you so that you would be established. That word established means so that you don't easily fall over. Paul understood not, there's certain things that can be taught, but there's certain things that must be caught. And one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life is to take the teachings of Christ and to come and impart to us and fill us according to the truths of those teachings so that we can take those truths and establish them as roots in the ground. So we, we can be like oak trees. The winds come, the rains come, but we don't easily fall over because our roots are going down deep because we've been established not just simply by the persuasive words, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that keeps us consistent. It is the Holy Spirit who is able to keep us steady. It is the Holy Spirit who is able to keep us from falling away and falling from grace. It is the Holy Spirit that continues to keep us on the path of maturity. And it is the Holy Spirit that empowers you to move in healing, signs, and wonders to the people around you that you're speaking to, preaching to, and sharing the love of Christ to. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Being filled with the Holy Spirit empowers us to be effective ambassadors of God's kingdom. And whether it's prophecy or healing or miracles or helps or administration, whatever it is that He's gifted you with and anointed you with, the point of that is not to build your own kingdom. He's not gifted you to build your own kingdom. He's gifted you so that you can impact the world around you so that when they see you, they're like, I know that guy. There's no way they could have done that outside the Holy Spirit. My greatest fear in life, more than death, was public speaking. Here I am. <laughs> it's something I'm gifted in. But I recognize it's only because of Him. And so I use this gift in my life to communicate and to release the power of God. Like Paul, I come before you today and I submit this. I'm not just coming to Life Center Church with persuasive words of human wisdom. I'm asking God for demonstrations of the Spirit and power. That in our midst, He would pour out. That in our midst, these testimonies that we're healing for the Philippines, we say, thank you, Lord. But why not here and why not now? Let us remember. But let us enter into the experience. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As He did on the day of Pentecost. May He do it here today. Why don't you stand with me? pray for all of us. I'm going to dismiss us in a moment and then also invite anyone up who may want prayer. But if you're here today and you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for you. And we're going to call you up in a moment if the ministry team can come up. Second group, if you're here today and you would say, Rich, it's been a long time. I got filled with the Spirit a long time ago, but it has been a long time since I have had a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to want to pray. We want to pray for you as well. Or maybe you're here today and you just say, Rich, I am hungry for more. There is something in my heart that knows. I, I've been filled. I've had multiple fillings and refreshings, but Rich, there's something in my heart that's crying out, there must be more. We want to pray for you as well. So before you come up, just all across the room, just put out your hands. I'm just going to release a corporate prayer, and then we'll invite you to come up to receive ministry. Father, we thank you. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you. Jesus, you are the baptizer, the Holy Spirit. As John the Baptist said, he came baptizing with water, but one there's one who's coming who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus, we thank you. Would you come and baptize ones today in your Holy Spirit? Jesus, would you come and baptize ones today in fire? Lord, all across this room, our hands are open to you. We hear, we feel the assignments and the callings of God. But Lord, we need to be filled. We need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with your fire. Would you come and baptize ones today? Sovereignly, would you come and fill? And Lord, for those who it's been a long time, Lord, would you bring the winds of refreshing? Winds of refreshing come. Renewal of heart come. And for the hungry and the thirsty who are looking for more, who said, Lord, I thank you, but yesterday's bread is not good enough for today. Lord, give us daily bread today. Yesterday's wine is not good enough for today. Lord, we want fresh wine today. Yesterday's oil is not good enough for today. Would you pour out fresh oil today? God, it's thank you that you're pouring out on the person next to me. But I want you, Lord. I need you, Lord. Lord, let a holy jealousy come upon us. A conviction on our hearts of our need, our absolute need of you, Holy Spirit. For perpetual infilling of the Spirit of God over this house and this people. In Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.